Good morning, church. It is good to be with you again. Uh, we will be opening God's Word today in Philippians chapter 4, verses 5 through 7. And while you might be turning there as a family or with roommates or even alone, I wanted to give you a few announcements, a few updates on uh, things going on with the church. One is that the men's retreat um, is postponed. Um, and as we get closer to Easter, we'll be able to see where we are with the social distancing requirements. But for the foreseeable future, we will not be able to gather together. And that brings me uh, great sadness, but we want to continue to walk in love. Uh, on our website, we have created a uh, COVID-19 response page. And I really want you to uh, look at that when you get a chance. Uh, that will be the place where we will be doing a lot of updating. Um, our sermons uh, will be linked there, but also ways for you to report needs, um, ways for you to offer uh, your help um, in this season, uh, ways to love neighbors, uh, ways to share prayer requests, and ways to share stories of God's grace where you have seen God at work in your life or in uh, community as we begin to love each other virtually, and also ways you've seen uh, people living sent. And so just want to point you to that so that you know that you can fill those uh, certain forms out and give your responses on there throughout this time that we have to be socially apart. Uh, we're not promising that we're going to be able to meet all these needs or post all the stories, but we will responsibly prioritize those and report the needs uh, that we feel like we can. And we want to just seek to foster a church culture characterized by prayer, by love, and by celebrating God's gracious work in and around us. So today we're going to be putting on pause our series in 1 Peter, and we're going to dive into a new series that'll go for several weeks called Finding Peace, The Battle Against Anxiety. And so we just want to highlight and underscore that peace is possible in Christ as we face many such fears, fears of not being safe, fears of the future, fears of loneliness, fears of approval, um, all kinds of things. But to begin our series today, we wanted to begin in Philippians chapter 4, verses 5 to 7, with this idea. Prayer is the essential weapon in battling anxiety. Prayer, the essential weapon in battling anxiety. So I want to start by reading the passage, then I'll say a brief prayer, and we'll dive right in. So Philippians chapter 4, verses 5 through 7, I'll begin in the middle of the verse, and the Word of God goes like this. Let your gentleness be evident to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, please, breathe by your Holy Spirit a calming sense of peace into our hearts. I pray that you would change us from the inside out. For those who have never known you, I pray, O oh God, that they would see that you are trustworthy, and you are a solution unlike all other solutions. And in you, we can have peace. So, Father, bring yourself to our lives, and may we surrender our lives to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In these days and times, peace can uh, seem kind of elusive. Um, 
because no matter what we call it, we all experience anxiety, um, the opposite of peace, which is anxiety. You'll hear phrases like, I'm anxious, I'm afraid, I'm scared, I'm worried, we have too much on our plate, or too many cares, or I'm stressed, I'm overwhelmed, I'm panicked. We are anxious people. And we are anxious over many things, especially these days. Some of us anxious over a loss of income, needs that might arise out of that. Will we have enough food? Will we be able to pay our bills? Other things like childcare, how will our kids be taken care of while we're at work? Kids' education, kids can't go to school. How are they going to be educated? What will happen? Schedules being totally turned upside down. What, how are we supposed to use our time? Anxiety about the future. We have no idea what's coming down the pike, and it just seems so much more uncertain now than even it felt just even weeks ago. Fears of being alone, especially in all this social distancing. Fear of loss. It could just be the obvious fear of sickness or fear of even death itself. There's so many other things we can get anxious over, but the promise today is a promise of peace, that peace is possible. And the essential weapon for finding peace in the battle for anxiety is prayer. Psalm 34 verse 4 says this, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Hear that. I sought the Lord. He answered me. That's prayer. And he delivered me from all my fears. Freedom from fears was directly connected to prayer. And that is what Paul is teaching us today in the face of our anxiety. That prayer is the means through which he sets us free from our fears. So let's look at Philippians 4, 5 to 6, because it's there that we will begin to read that the Lord is near. We don't need to be anxious, but in everything instead, let's pray. So there are three ways in which we see in our passage today that Jesus helps the anxious. Three ways. One is that Jesus cares for the anxious. Two, Jesus invites us to turn to him in prayer. And three, Jesus promises peace beyond understanding. The first one, Jesus cares for the anxious. Jesus cares for the anxious. Look at the passage. It says, the Lord is near. Don't be anxious. Context matters. So if I tell you she was falling from the plane, you would say that's horrible. Who's going to help her? But if I said because she trained for years as a paratrooper, she was falling from the plane, you might say that's crazy, but it's not as traumatic. Context matters. And here the passage is saying, don't be anxious because the Lord is near. That's the reason Paul can give the command not to be anxious is because God is near. Now, in this new world of social distancing, nearness is harder than ever. But if you had the coronavirus, those who were willing to get near to you would show deep care for you. Like the woman who draws near to the leper to bring comfort, that nearness speaks of care. And here, Jesus is communicating his care in the midst of our anxiety by saying, the Lord is near. And you see it throughout the Bible. Listen to this in Psalm 94, at the Lord's care for the anxious. 
If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would soon have lived in the land of silence. When I thought my foot slips, your steadfast love, O Lord, held me up. When the cares or anxieties of my heart are many, your consolations, that is, your presence, your words, they cheer my soul. We see here that the Lord is near, and that nearness means he cares. He's just he cares about our anxieties. He doesn't distance himself from us in the midst of our fear. He's not absent in the midst of scary times. He's not annoyed by our worries. He is filled with compassion. He is tender. He is a help. He is near. The greatest way he can show us he cares is by being with us and being for us. The command to pray our anxieties, and that's what we're looking at in Philippians 4, he is telling us to pray our anxieties and all the questions and concerns for us and for others that come out of those anxieties is owing to the fact that the Lord is near. Go to him. He's near. He's not far off. And that nearness communicates care. That nearness is a sense of who is near. The Lord is near. He's present as the Lord. It's one thing if a child says, I'm here, but what can a child do for your anxieties? They can't do very much at all. They can't help with deep heart issues. They can be cute. But what if I said, okay, I'm here as a pastor. I, I'm near to you. Well, that might be a little helpful, but it's limitedly so. This is the Lord who's near. Who's near. He knows all of your needs. He knows everything. He is fully resourceful. He has no limits. And so in these weeks that we'll begin to study anxiety and peace, we will see the growing power of these few words. The Lord is near. The Lord is with us. And that leads us to the next way that Jesus helps us in our anxieties. He helps us in our anxieties as he invites us to turn to him in prayer. Jesus invites us to turn to him in prayer. He doesn't just say, fix it yourself. He doesn't say, stop feeling. He says instead, take your anxieties to the Lord who is near you. Now, this invitation to pray, you actually see the command in verse 6, make your requests made known to God. That's the command to pray. That invitation to pray is an invitation into two things. Invitation into awareness of your emotions and how you handle that, and into awareness of God's presence and how you handle that. Awareness of your emotions, that is, if you don't acknowledge you are anxious, you will never turn to Jesus in prayer. And so awareness of your emotions, I'm anxious, and that is expressing a loss of trust in you, O oh God, and a loss of awareness of your presence. I get anxious when I forget you are with me. Now, the other one is not just an awareness of our emotions, but an awareness of his presence. You are here. You are here, O oh God, and I will draw near to you in prayer, and I will ask for you to work on me and in me and through me. Let's look at these two just a little bit more in depth. The invitation, the invitation to pray is an invitation into an awareness of our emotions and how we handle that and an awareness of his presence and how we handle that. First of all, Paul says, don't be anxious. Now, here's a question. Is anxiety sin? Well, as an emotion, anxiety is not sin. You'd be like, whoa, he just says, don't be anxious. And you're telling me anxiety is not sin. Slow down. Let's look at it together. All emotions 
are gifts from God. An emotion of anxiety is not a sin. All emotions are gifts from God. As Tim Keller says, there are really no bad emotions, just emotions gone bad. So in regards to anxiety and worry, Keller goes on to say, worry is concern gone bad. And you see this actually in the book of Philippians in three places. The very word used for don't be anxious in Philippians chapter 4 is also the word in Philippians chapter 2 verse 20, which says, For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare or anxious for your welfare. It's he's sending this dear brother to go into care for the church because he sees in him a healthy concern for the church. So that is that is a good thing that he's sending him out. There's two other places where this kind of concern or anxiety is actually a good thing. It says one in Philippians 2:26 it was concern for the sick that was admirable or you could say anxiety for the sick in that sense. Or Philippians chapter 2 verse 28 it's genuine concern for the churches or anxiety for the churches. So there is a thing called healthy fear of God or um, the sense of, you know, a healthy fear and like danger, don't touch the stove. That's a gift from you. Um, they even say that those who work on cell phone towers, that their job gets more dangerous as they lose the fear of the job they're doing, that there's more accidents and even more deaths as their fear begins to diminish because an appropriate respect and an awe, a reverence, a fear, a trembling is a healthy thing at times. So you might say, what's the big deal? Why is Paul saying don't do it? Well, you know what the big deal is. <laughs> because for many of us, we lack a sense of peace. And that lack of peace is miserable. From low-level worry to deep stress to being overwhelmed to terror and panic, it's just miserable. So this is what happens. When a healthy emotion of care and concern go bad, all of a sudden, that anxiety is sin. Those are the anxieties that Psalm 34 was speaking of that we need to be set free from. So anxiety is a big deal because genuine concern and faith-filled care can turn like that into self-serving or self-preserving fear. It can reflect a loss of trust in God and a deeper dependence on ourselves rather than on Him. It can reflect a trading God in for another person or for our image or for possessions. So how do we know? How do we know if we've got this bad anxiety? Well, one, it's just really clear. Like we're filled with panic, immobilizing fear. But sometimes it's more subtle. Like Psalm 127, 2, it says, it is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. Anxious toil. He gives sleep to those he loves. What's he speaking of there? It's not living within your limits. Hard work shifts to not being aware that you have boundaries. You begin to depend on yourself for provision. You become a workaholic. Waking up early going to bed late, expanding your day. This is a sign that your anxiety has shifted, has shifted into trust in you over against trust in God. Another one might be when 
you consider this idea of concern shifts to obsession. You can't get it off your mind or you can't get that person off your mind. It seems to be controlling you. Those are some signs that this anxiety, this care, this genuine concern has gone bad. It's turned into what Paul here is saying, don't be anxious. And so the reason Paul invites us to take Jesus up on this invitation is because our anxieties can go bad. Concern can shift into anxiety and fear and terror. And ultimately, Psalm 37, 4 tells us, it uses the word fret for anxiety. You can see all different types of words in the Bible. Fret, um, you can see anxiety, you can see the sense of um, just several different words that are used, fear, to describe anxiety in the scriptures. But here it says in Psalm 37, 4, fret not yourself or don't be anxious. It tends only to evil. It tends only to evil. Paul is saying, don't play with anxiety. We must be aware of it and handle it rightly. So we need awareness of our anxiety. We need to handle it rightly. What does it look like for us to handle our anxiety rightly? Well, the first thing is that we've got to own it. We've got to say, I am anxious. Not to minimize it, we need to grow in self-awareness. It's hurting us and we can't fix whatever it is on our own. And if we don't acknowledge that you are, we are shackled by our anxiety, we will never find freedom. Until you acknowledge you're in chains, you will never find the freedom you need from those chains. We have to own our anxiety and say we are anxious. So when Paul says, don't be anxious, pray, he is saying you've got to admit you're anxious so that then it will turn you to pray. But now once you acknowledge that you're anxious, you not only need to own it, you need to examine it. You need to to look at it, hear what it's saying to you. And we can't go into all the different um, wonderful tools that are out there for kind of doing the self-counseling that's needed. But one tool I just wanted to put before you is found in uh, Jeff Vanderstelt's book, Gospel Fluency. And he tells us to ask three questions as we examine our anxiety. Well, really all sins, but I'm just laying it on anxiety right now. Here are the three questions. Who am I? What has God done? And who is God? So let's just take one example because I, I need examples. You're probably like me. Lost wages. I might lose wages and I am terrified. I'm, I'm anxious about that. It could be low level. It could be extreme. So let's ask that first question. Who am I or what am I believing about myself? When the anxiety is talking you are believing in that moment, it all depends on me. It all depends on me. We must work, yes, but if it all depends on you, you shouldn't be anxious because you're finite. You can't move companies and economies. You can't work governments. But anxiety says, I have to fix this. Who am I? I'm the one that has to fix this. And then what has God done or what are we believing about God's work? Many times in our anxieties, we're not even thinking about God. Or if we are, we're saying, God is not at work, or he has left me. And what are we saying about God himself? Who is God? Who am I? What has God done? Who is God? Well, at that moment, many times we'll believe God isn't good. He isn't loving. 
He isn't a provider or protector. And so instead, we become more aware of our circumstances and we get anxious. What is Paul inviting us into? He's inviting us not just an awareness of our emotions, but an awareness of his presence. He's inviting us to take him up on his offer to pray. He's saying, turn, confess, confess what's going on. And so confession is prayer. God, forgive me. Forgive me. And you confess what you know to be true from God's word. Prayer and the word go together. Ephesians chapter 6, take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying. You take the word and you pray it. Trust in the Lord that we need in the midst of our anxiety. It comes from time in his word. And the word fuels our prayers and our prayers fuel our lives. So we've got to be praying truths that accord with God's word. Let's take those three questions now. We've got to own our anxiety. God, I am anxious. And we've got to examine it. We've got to examine what our anxiety is saying about ourselves, about God's work and about who God is. But now we confess, God, I'm thinking wrongly. In my examination, I'm thinking in a way that is not filled with faith. Oh God, turn me to you. I trust you. And just that turning is a confession. It's a prayer. God, help me. Who am I according to your word? If we ask these three questions, who am I? I'm saying it's all depending on me. But God, your word tells me that I'm just an instrument in your hand. I must work hard. But you are my provider. You are my father. You care for me. You are my protector. And so who am I? I'm one that is taken care of and loved and valued by my father. What does God do? What, does, what is his work? Well, we know that Jesus died on the cross to take care of our sinful anxiety. And he rose from the grave. If he can do that work, then surely I can trust him with my finances. I can trust him that he is working for my good, even when I can't see it. And what's the third question? Who am I? What is God doing? And who is God? Well, who is God? God, your cross tells me that you are loving. The cross tells me you are good and you are trustworthy. And whatever you think is best, I can trust you. And so in these moments, we turn to prayer and we confess our weak faith, but we confess the power of Jesus. And it's there that the soil is being tilled and the sprouts come up. Blossoms of peace begin to rise in our hearts. How should we handle our anxiety? We should be aware of our emotions and handle it by taking it to the Lord in prayer. Now, I can tell you yesterday, I did not handle certain things that way. I had promised my daughter, Mercy, that we would paint her room. We began to think about what projects we should try to dive into in the midst of this kind of COVID quarantine season. And one of them was to paint Mercy's room. So we told her that we would paint her room yesterday. We woke up that morning, and as I was sitting there talking about my our day with my wife, she began to tell me that tomorrow, that is um, Friday, is that right? Yeah, Friday, that it was, or Saturday, that it was going to rain. And so the fact that it was going to rain on Saturday meant that I needed to get 
several yards mowed because my older boys and I, we do a, a yard mowing business kind of thing on the side and we mow a few yards in um, our neighborhood. And so now I'm with a quandary. I needed to keep my word that we were going to paint Mercy's room and I have like four to six yards that I have to mow. And so immediately the adrenaline starts pumping and I didn't stop to lay this before the Lord. I didn't settle my heart at his feet. I just was like, okay, can we do this? Can we do, okay, we can do this. We are going to paint an entire room and mow four to six yards. Okay, go. And so my wife was like, are you sure we can do this? And I'm like, I, I think we can get it done. Let's see, we'll do this, we'll do this, we'll do this. And so we began to paint. And as we began to paint, I began to feel this low level sense of irritability. Wasn't fully aware about it. Just why are these things are kind of bothering me. And so we began to paint and halfway through, I began to realize this is not going like I had planned. It's taking longer. We ran out of paint. We had to go get some more, you know, all these things that can happen when you're painting a room. And this low level anxiety began to rise while we were painting. And I missed some wonderful opportunities in that painting moment for lighthearted moments, for just really healthy conversation or intentional conversations because the task became so urgent because I was trying to cram so much in to my day. And so then we finished the uh, room and then I had to run immediately to go mow some yards. Thankfully, my wife and my old, oldest son mowed some yards, but I still had three others to mow myself. So I went to mow and it took me about midway through my second yard before I realized I had forgotten my Lent commitment. My Lent commitment was that I would stop in the middle of the day to pray, to be still before the Lord. So I'm halfway through my second yard. I do not normally stop things halfway through. So, but I'm halfway through my second yard and there's this just urgent sense of awareness. I haven't stopped and I've been anxious all day long. And so, against my nature, I stopped. I followed my Lent commitment, and I took up um, my phone, which I take notes on, and a book that I've been reading to walk me through God's Word and prayer, and I sat down. And it was in the middle of that when I began to own my anxiety, and I began to process, I have been anxious, and I began to examine what my anxiety has been saying. And I began to realize that I just rushed into this day without asking genuinely what seemed reasonable, without praying and settling my heart and allowing the Holy Spirit to kind of prod and push on me. My daughter probably would have been okay for me to go to her and say, honey, it's going to rain. Can we paint your room tomorrow? We will get it done, but I need to do some yards today. And instead, we rushed through it all. But in the midst of that time of stillness, I owned it, I examined my heart, I spent time in prayer, I apologized to my wife and kids later, then I went back and finished mowing. But that process, that process of prayer brought me more peace. And so you must be asking yourself, as Jesus invites you into prayer, you need an awareness of your anxiety, an awareness of your emotions, but you need an awareness of God's presence? And how will you handle the fact that our great God is near to you? Well, Philippians 4, 6, and 7 tells us, don't be anxious in anything, 
but in everything, in prayer, petition, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. Why didn't Jesus just give us an anti-anxiety button? Wouldn't that be so much easier? Like, okay, I'm feeling anxious. Boom. Now I'm at peace. Because the command, look at the command in Philippians chapter 4. Make known your request to God. That is not because God doesn't know what's on your heart. It is because the purpose of prayer is for you to share with God who you are so that then you can also know deeper who God is, one who cares, one who loves, one who is with you. The point of prayer is to know God. In what? Some things? No, in everything. In prayer, petition, with thanksgiving, present, make your request known to God. It's interesting. Another place where the word everything is used in Philippians is Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. And I believe it's directly connected to prayer. Philippians chapter 3, verse 8 says this, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because Paul said, everything in my life is loss compared to you. You are my treasure. I want you above everything else. Therefore, I will submit everything to you in prayer. Nothing's off limits. I lay my soul bare before you in prayer. Now, why is anxiety such a big deal? Because anxiety drills a hole into our hearts where love resides love for God, love for others, where we receive the love of God and where we give out his love to others. And anxiety drills a hole in that so that love begins to be drained. Anxiety seeks to take control or responsibility for that which we should not take control of. It's a subtle shift from trust in God to trust in self. Anxiety creates, can create massive introspection. Fear of me being hurt, for example. But that's not love for God or for others. Or it can create massive overdependence. I don't want others to get hurt. And so we smother or we get angry or we try to control things. But that's not love either. Anxiety drains love from the heart. So Paul is inviting us into prayer because the restorative action in the midst of anxiety is prayer. Prayer restores our heart. And it's there in Philippians 4 when we stop and we pray and we bow our hearts and we say, God, I'm not okay. I'm anxious. I can't control this. And then you, you're reorienting your life to what God prizes. I haven't been aware that you are here, O oh God. My mind has been everywhere else but on you. Cause me to think on you. Cause me to trust on you trust in you. And all of a sudden, the hole is plugged and love begins to fill back up. God, make me loving. Remind me of your love. Help me to consider others more significant than myself. And also what God begins to do is he begins to, in prayer, give you lenses of praise, of thanksgiving. God, I thank you for you. God, I praise you for your care. God, I praise you for listening to me and for caring for my deepest 
hurts and pains. God, I thank you that you are trustworthy. Thank you, God, I thank you that I can give everything to you. Father, free me from this anxiety. Thank you for your power over anxiety. This is what happens when we pray. And God is just inviting us in to this relationship of prayer. Now here, please hear me. Peace does not just drop out of the sky when you just pray. But as you pray, you are orienting your heart to where the rain of peace promises to fall. It will not fall out of self-sufficiency. It will not fall out of the heart of anger. The rain of peace will fall out of prayer. Prayer is the soil where the flower of peace grows. This is the promise that we end with here. This is the promise that Jesus helps us in our anxieties because he cares for us in our anxieties by being with us. Jesus helps us in our anxieties because he invites us into prayer. Jesus helps us in our anxiety because he promises peace beyond understanding. This is the last and final idea. Jesus promises peace beyond understanding. Look at verse 7. And it says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. There is a promised peace for the one who bows their heart in prayer before the Lord. Doesn't give a time frame, but the life characterized by prayer is a life that will be characterized by peace. And this peace is a peace that surpasses understanding. It's a, a peace against peace. I get this idea from Romans 4, 18, when it said that Abraham believed God that he would become the father of many, many nations. If you remember, Abraham, 100 years old, believed that he would be a dad again. And the Bible says, in hope, he believed against hope. He believed against all rational thinking that he would be a dad again. He took God at his word. And here we're getting the same kind of thing. It's peace against peace. It's you, you can have peace even though everything around you says that you should not have peace. When COVID-19 is there and states are being shut down and whole countries are being shut down and wages are potentially being lost and the stock market is crashing, everything screams you should not have peace. But this says, as we bow our hearts before the Lord and we remember his great love, we can have a peace against peace, a peace that passes all understanding. Even though you don't understand it, you can have peace. It doesn't make sense but it's possible. It's possible in prayer. Prayer is the space of trust. It's the space of surrender. It's the space of receiving his love for you. And I want you to experience, I want to experience taking all of me, all of my concerns, nothing off limits to God in prayer because it's there where he says, it's in stillness, in prayer, where he says, you can find peace. Prayer is the essential weapon in battling anxiety and finding peace. Really young children, they don't understand it, but they trust certain things about life. It could be that they trust that the lights are on. They don't, 
they don't take it for granted that the electricity will work or they they don't they don't know all the things that go into that but they just trust that that light's going to come on and they trust us to provide it but they don't know all the hard work that it takes for us to work sometimes the threats of lights even being turned off because we can't pay bills or sacrifices that are being made they don't know any of that they just know that I can trust mom or dad or that single parent. I can trust them to have the lights on. And it's that kind of simple trust. We don't know the outcome. We don't know the solution. But this is us in prayer. We will trust God to provide. He promises that he will provide. His promises are true. It begins in weakness the awareness and ownership of anxiety and taking that to him in prayer. I want to end with a quote from Paul Miller's A Praying Life that prayer begins in weakness. It begins with an awareness of taking everything to him in prayer. Here's the quote. Paul Miller said that one man said this in one of his prayer seminars. I'm starting to see the difference, that there is a difference between saying prayers and honest praying. Both can sound the same on the outside, but the former is too often motivated by a sense of obligation and guilt, whereas the latter is motivated by a conviction that I am completely helpless to do life on my own. Or in the case of praying for others, I'm completely helpless to help others without the grace and power of God. The very thing we are allergic to I felt that was an appropriate analogy or illustration in the midst of this season. The very thing we are allergic to, our helplessness, is what prayer, is what makes prayer work. It works because we are helpless. We can't do life on our own. Prayer mirrors the gospel. We look at the inadequacy of our praying and give up, thinking something in us is wrong. God looks at the adequacy of his son and delights in our sloppy, meandering prayers. We tell ourselves, this is the quote still going on, we tell ourselves, strong Christians, they pray a lot. If I were stronger, I would pray more. Well, strong Christians do pray more, but they pray more because they realize how weak they are. They don't try to hide it from themselves. Weakness is the channel that allows them to access grace. Oh, dear friend, let's be weak. Let's lay that heavy burden at the feet of Jesus. Not worry if we're doing it right, but come to him in prayer. He cares. And it's easier at first to distract ourselves with movies or to numb ourselves with food or drink, to try to avoid all bad news. But instead, the invitation today in the midst of our anxiety is to be desperate and to pray. Remember, the Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything, but instead, in everything, make your heart, your questions, your requests, your fears known to God. And in being with him, in the midst of his caring presence, the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Dear church, I encourage you to spend some time maybe listening to the song, Lord, I Need You. Or spend some time just in some stillness and prayer. But I encourage you, our God cares for you. He invites you into prayer and he promises 
that with a mind steadfast on him, a heart filled with prayer, he promises peace. Blessings to you, church, as we fight this fight of against anxiety and for peace together. Grace.